Well, um, thank you to the worship team for some awesome, awesome songs of God this morning. And uh, I just wanted to kind of give you, first of all, before we jump in, introduce myself. My name is Troy Trahan. I typically play guitar right there with the worship team. And uh, I am Pastor Larry's son-in-law. Proud to, proud to say that. And, uh, you know, uh, be a part of his family. The guy's been a just a big part of my walk with God, and I'm so thankful for him. And thankful for this opportunity to come, you know, share a word with you guys. And if you guys missed Kevin's message from uh, previous Sunday or Dave's from this past Wednesday at Bristol Road, we do plan having those online for you. And I'll tell you, there's some gems in some of the stuff that they talked about. So if you want, we can certainly get you a CD, or if you want to seek them on our website, it's uh, newhavenbc.com. Check them out. Uh, they really spoke to me last week, so I hope they do the same for you. Um, and I know that a few weeks ago when Pastor had announced that I'd be filling in for him, he said that I'd be sharing with you some important news, and that was uh, the exact day and time of Jesus' return. <laughs> but, you know, I figured that being the pastor of our church, he'd probably want to know that too, so I'm going to wait till he gets back and he can tell you. So we're going to go ahead and uh, keep it that way, okay? So... Um, and today's lesson, the framework, is based on this book I recently finished reading called Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in Texas, and this guy, this guy ministers to my heart in a big way. And I think um, part of it is the dude's real. And in the world that we live in today, it's kind of rare. And this guy speaks from the heart, and I really, really appreciate that. So I've read a lot of his stuff. Um, so if you, if you hear something today that kind of piques your interest a little bit and you want to read more about that, again, that book is called Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler. So as we jump in here, uh, move along, I want to give you some background about myself, not too much, but uh, I have to kind of cruise because I have a lot of stuff I want to cover today. We only have about 45 minutes. So I'm going to take you probably to 1230-ish. We have a great new song to introduce to you guys at the end. So it's going to be maybe a little longer than what you're used to for that. I apologize. But I can talk at the speed of light. So I'm pretty sure that we can get through it together. Um, but as we move along, I just want to let you know that I didn't grow up in church. I'm not a church guy. I you know, grew up foul mouth, whiskey pounding, bar hopping, blues guitar playing, womanizing, friend betraying, Debt racking up in everything you want to put underneath the sun, man. I was it. And um, <laughs> when I was like nine or ten, a preacher had scared me into saying the sinner's prayer. I was at church with a friend. And um, it was like one of the, I can count on one hand how many times I went to church before I started coming here. And he um, scared me into saying the sinner's prayer. He made hell a reality for me. So it kind of, it was kind of scary. So I said the sinner's prayer, and you know, for the next 20 years or so, I had a skewed view of God, one that had me um, trying to win his approval, all while marching to the beat of my own drum, and we know that doesn't work. And it wasn't working for me, but I knew, I knew that there had to be something more to this church thing, um, more than just trying to be good, which I was miserably failing at, and more than just empty words in a sinner's prayer that you say when you're a young kid. So, 
Controversial, right? If you've said the sinner's prayer and you are not surrendered to Christ, think about that when you leave today. It's not um, a hallway pass to heaven when you say that. And it's not me talking. You open the Bible and that's what you see. Okay, so you'll find that in Scripture. Um, so I didn't set, a, set foot in church with any intent you know, of listening to the word. I had been to weddings and whatever um, until about 2010 when I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And it changed my life forever. So if I only do this one time, get to speak with you guys, share with you guys, explore God's word together one time, I just want to make sure that you hear the gospel and that it can change your life forever too. So our text today, we're going to camp out in Mark 7. So you can kind of get there. We won't get there for a little while. And then if you want to plan ahead, if you're that kind of person, Romans 5 is where we're going to end up at the end. So you can kind of put a dog ear in Romans 5 too. Um, but to understand our condition first and to understand our, our need for this gospel, we, we have to go back to Genesis 1 and understand um, that when God made everything, at the end of each creation phase, he called everything very good. It was perfect. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 1 and 2 meet Genesis 3, where Satan tempts Eve, she caves, and then Adam caves too. And that kind of sets in motion the disorder of our universe. And that's what we know today is sin that we are riddled with sin, we are diseased, if you will. Um, but it's really important to remember that we are not just like victims of this, we are active participants in the rebellion. You get that? You can't blame shift to Adam and Eve, say, man, you really messed it up. Thanks a lot. You know, gosh, what are you doing? You can't do that. And we find... The proof for that, written in scripture in Romans 3, 23, where it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that all means me, it means you, it means your perfect grandmother, it means my one-year-old son, and I hate saying that, but if I believe scripture to be the highest authority in my life, then that is true, that unfortunately Elijah is a sinner by nature. And we have to first understand that and accept it as a reality in our lives to understand our need for the gospel. And because of this fallen nature that we have, uh, we're consistently trying to fill a void in our lives. And uh, so by and large, what we're plagued with is this, this chasing something better all the time, uh, that there's a better life waiting for us two years from now or one year from now, whatever. It's a dangling carrot, and you can snatch it sometimes for a season, but it certainly doesn't last very long, apart from Christ, okay? So we're chasing our tail, um, and as a result, we're moving towards the future in hopes that the future holds for us better satisfaction than we have at this present time. And as we do this, as we try to create satisfaction for ourselves, try to redeem ourselves, we follow these four crooked paths. And this is what Chandler kind of outlines for us, and I loved it because I feel that you might be in one of them now, you might have been in one of them, or you might be in all four of them. Uh, we can all look at these and evaluate ourselves and look inside ourselves and say, man, I've done that. I'm doing that right now. And uh, by the end of this, you're going to learn why you don't have to anymore. So the first crooked path is we try to create a better version of ourselves, and that's you 
So after I do this and this happens, then I'll have it all together. Um, a cooler looking version of us, a wealthier version of us, a I got promoted to a better job version of us, I drive a sweeter ride than that guy version of us. We think that this version is the cure to our ills. And that it's those versions of us can be our satisfaction. And if you think about this for a minute, when were you ever responsible for pulling yourself out of the muck and mire of your sin? When was it you? Or was it, like Psalm 40 says, was it God? Did he grab you by the collar, like the protecting father he is, and he yank you out of it and tell you, hey man, you're not doing this anymore. You're mine. So think about that. I think if we honestly look into ourselves, we find that we've never solved our own problems. As a Christian, those problems are solved and redeemed by Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. So I'm going to share with you uh, Jeremiah 17, 5-9. You don't have to turn, turn here. It's uh, just something really quick. And it says, Thus says the Lord. So this is God speaking. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. There's a heck of a lot more that I wanted to read right there, but just that that first sentence says it all. I'm not even going to go on. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So when you trust in yourself to solve your problems, it's a curse. It's an affliction. And it's never going to result in the satisfaction that you might be looking for. So in the end, no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard you try, you 2.0 is never going to be the the answer because we are not the answer to our satisfaction problem. And secondly, this this crooked path has a second thing that we do. And I was going to skip this because it can be kind of controversial, but um, a conversation I had with a near and dear friend recently, I feel like God spoke through him to tell me that we got to touch on this for a second. And... uh, so we medicate our problem, our looking for satisfaction problem with antidepressants and antidepressants. And uh, it's the number one selling drug in America. And it's, um, it really aims at mowing over the weeds instead of pulling them up. So it's taming sin with these, uh, with these drugs that this, my, my friend had described to me that if you picture life, your emotions like this, he lived right here because of those drugs. He could never sink below and he could never rise above anything. Could you imagine walking through life like that with no emotion? So if you're blinded by these drugs that make you feel better just because they're not making you feel bad, you also can't experience the joy that Christ has for you. So if you hear that today, and it makes you a little mad at me, I'm really sorry. But at the same time, I know that Christ can heal you of whatever you feel like those drugs are helping. And there's kind of a funny analogy for this. And Have you guys ever watched that show, When Animals Attack? Right? So the dude has a lion on a leash. And maybe he has an assistant next to the lion, and he's like talking to the people, and then all of a sudden the lion, wham! Mauls the assistant, right? Knocks off her arm you know, whatever gory things you want to talk about. And, uh, yeah, wake up, right? Um, 
And we're like, dude, why the apex predator that's designed to kill people swipe that lady? Oh my gosh, I'm so surprised. Right? Oh, so, so it is with our sin. Why on earth would you try to tame your sin? Because it's designed to kill you. Why? So, by, by being a Christian, you're empowered just to pull the, put a bullet right in it. No more lying. Sorry to National Geographic, but hey, it is what it is. So, in this scenario, the lion is the sin. I mean, I wouldn't kill a fluffy lion if I had a choice, but you get it. So, then the second crooked path is that we run to others uh, for our validation and uh, to find worth. And that can be your friends, it can be your spouse, it can be your kids. And uh, we try to find our identity in these people because uh, we're lacking something. And... The expectation that these people can solve our problem is ludicrous because uh, people make really crappy gods. They make really crappy gods. And that's a weight, that fulfillment thing that, you're, that you might be trying you know, from your wife or from your kid or, or your friends, that's a weight that they were never meant to bear. They were not designed for that. So... That can be um, like the best friend hopper, right? I'm going to hop from best friend to best friend to best friend to best friend because something seems to be wrong with all of them. <laughs> and they're, they're not fulfilling me, <laughs> right? Uh, they're not fulfilling me. And uh, so that's not a problem with your friends. It's a problem with yourself. Okay, it can be uh, you put ruthless expectations on your kids or on your wife and... Uh, so men, we know that our wives, sorry wives, you make crummy gods. And wives, you know that your men, I mean, how long did it take you to get him to leave the seat down? Or pick up his own laundry, right? So if he can't do that, I see Connie laughing at Dave, is that an issue? We need to bring that in front of the church? <laughs> um, so if you, can't, if you can't train us to do that, you can't expect us to be God in your life, okay? So funny analogy, but true at the same time. Um, but the covenant you know, between a man and a woman is it's a beautiful parallel for the covenant between Christ and his church. But when you make this really good thing that he's given us a God thing, that's when it becomes a problem. So when you exalt your marriage or exalt your children or your friends above the creator of the universe, it disrupts your life in a very unhealthy way. So you cannot place divine expectations on people lest you watch them crumble. So if you expect your wife to be all satisfying, fulfill every need, to give you worth, significance, get ready to watch her cave. If you do the same thing to your kids, you're going to crush his little soul. Because when he sins and when he strays and when he fails, and he will, he's going to be very, very crushed that he didn't live up to your expectations of him to be God in your life. And the book of Ephesians, it's six chapters, and it's packed with just mind-blowing stuff. But it says no less than 27 times that we are to find our identity in Christ alone, not anybody else. So when we root ourselves in Christ and in the gospel, we have rooted ourselves in the Redeemer. The guy that knows you inside and out, front to back, for better or for worse, 
He loves you on your bad days. When you find your identity in that, that's when you find worth, when you find it in him. So that allows you, when you are a Christian, identifying with Christ to navigate these relationships in a way that can glorify God, make much of him, and not to worship the people that he has graciously placed in your life. All right, so on to the third crooked path as we run to the world. And this one can hit home, I think, with a lot of us. Me, in a big way, man, I struggle with this. To this day, not nearly as bad as I was, you know, a few years ago, but um, it's because we are creatures of worship, and our culture has trained us to worship all the wrong things. All the wrong things. So modern marketing has defined for us what happiness looks like, what the good life looks like, what arriving looks like. And if you read scripture, you'll find that those definitions are a far cry from how scripture defines them. But still, still there's sometimes nothing better than a brand new guitar, a new MacBook, new pair of shoes, shiny new car, huge bucket of cookies and cream ice cream, something like that. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that sometimes temporary happiness is found in these things, but it's when we lift them up and worship them, so namely idolatry, that they become a problem. So it's not in the gifts that the issue lies. It's that when we lift them up to become idols, we elevate those created things above our creator. And our rebellion in this path comes from when you snatch a good gift from God, shake it around, you abuse it, until it becomes a source of suffering for you. So I drank too much wine, skipped forward a few, few years, and now I'm a, a whiskey-drinking alcoholic. You've abused that good gift that started out as something that you could enjoy and, and roll into worship for, for Christ into something that's been, that is now Lord of your life. That's where it becomes an issue. And for the Christian, reading through Scripture, you can see that these gifts can be a source of, of, of worship for the giver and wonderment for him. So as a Christian, you can find that freedom and joy in the gifts that he has given you, ultimately to be joy in Christ and not in the gifts themselves. And if you... Um, Think about this for a sec. Wake up Christmas morning if you have kids that are, old, you know, uh, not too old to receive gifts. I mean, I'm 30 and I still get gifts, so it's cool. Um, <laughs> Christmas is right around the corner. I love books. Um, <laughs> picture a kid getting a gift from, from mom or dad, and he grabs it, and he shakes the crap out of it, breaks it, and gets really mad at mom or dad for that gift that just caused him pain. Wouldn't you think that that kid might get a nap and a whooping before he gets another gift from you? And uh, if you turn that around and just apply it to us, a lot of times that's what we do with God. He gave us this great thing that we just had to have. We had too much of it. It became a source of suffering for us. And then we blamed God that that no longer was a source of our satisfaction because you weren't looking to God for your satisfaction. You looked in the thing that he gave you. And then the fourth crooked path we got to zoom here. Um, as we try to earn favor with God by tipping the scales, and um, that comes from this 
this, uh, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I skipped this at Bristol Road because I was also running out of time there, but I got to read it. I got to read it. Um, moralistic therapeutic deism is a belief system comprised of these five beliefs. A God exists who created and ordered the world and simply watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem, which I call that the pinata God, which is ludicrous. Good people go to heaven when they die. That's the last one. So if you've heard those before, which I'm sure you have, please know that none of those are true of the God that we worship here today. Not true. And it may not be your fault that you believe that. So I'm not criticizing you because I was there too. But know that those five things, squash them. As we go on today, you'll see why. So in this crooked path, the uh, trying to tip the scales, earn favor with God, there's the scorecard kind of thing. So I tithed 500 bucks last month. I went to three out of four Wednesday night services, made it to all the Sunday services on time. But while I was there pretending to look at my Bible, I was actually on Facebook. So, right? Guilty sometimes. Um, but only to look at desiring God on Facebook. You know, it's, I mean. Um, so how many points does that earn me on the Christian scorecard? And the answer is none, because our God doesn't keep score. When you put your faith in Christ, you're either, well, put it this way. If you don't put your faith in Christ, you are not redeemed. If you put your faith in Christ, you are fully redeemed, 100%, cannot earn any more favor than what he has given you through Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Amen. And as a, as a follower of the world, and as um, a kid brought up that, you know, God wouldn't do this to you, man, or he, you, must, you did this, so God did this for you, that's what I heard in my non-Christian household. That's just not true. That's just not true. And being fully redeemed, there's a freedom in that, man, I'll tell you. And then we also have the scales. So you tip the scales, right? Uh, those don't exist either. Those scales are not um, something that God looks at. So you're either completely justified or not justified at all. And that, the tilting the scales idea comes from this crazy idea that, that good boys and girls go to heaven and bad girls and boys don't. Um, but in reality, it's bad girls and boys that have put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, been transformed by his redeeming work on the cross. And now, each day of their life is an act of worship, serving and obeying him because of the love that he's given us through the cross. That's the truth. It's not this, i got to do stuff to get into heaven, or I'm good, so I'm getting into heaven. It doesn't work that way. So we don't do good to earn a hall pass into heaven, right? Uh, To earn favor with God. We do the things that he commands us, not to earn his love, but because he already loves us. And it's an act of worship. So religion is outside in. We try to coax things from God. That's religion. That's, uh, if I do this, he'll do this. Or he did this because I did this. When, in actuality, our gospel is inside out. It's Christ that's in you, that lives in you. That's the source of your satisfaction and your hope. So, because of that, we proactively wage war against the sin in our life. We love and serve others. We study the word. We get in community with people. We worship because he already loves us. So those conclude the four crooked paths. And I've got about 15 minutes. I think I can do this. So now we're going to get into Mark 7. 
which is where I uh, had asked you to go to earlier today. So, um, why do we follow the crooked paths? Where does, where does this desire come from? And we hear it from Christ. So he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, this is verses 14 through 23 in Mark 7, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And then if you're a bacon lover or something, those next few, thus he declared all foods clean. Love bacon. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. You get the idea. So the people in this passage believe that they had to wash a certain way before they could enter the synagogue. They had dietary laws that could tell them, or told them what to eat and what not to eat because they thought that if they didn't wash a certain way or if they ate something, it would make their soul dirty. It would make them unclean. And Jesus says, uh-uh. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. He says, Nothing outside of you can make you unclean. It's what's in you. It's your very nature that makes you unclean. And you have to hear this. you got to get it because a lot of people get it backwards and it's crucial to get this right, to know the reason behind our need for the saving grace of Christ and to be able to accept it. So those activities that you participate in that make you feel dirty, that make you feel shameful, um, guilty, give you anxiety. Those activities don't make you unclean. It's because you're unclean that you did those activities. So we'll say it again slower. You don't do sinful acts to make yourself a sinner. You are a sinner. So you do sinful acts. Got that? So that's why moral tinkering, the I'm going to make a better me, that's why it's never going to work. Because the problem is deep in here. And Chandler puts it this way, I love this. Uh, the heart of the problem is the problem of our hearts. And only Christ can fix it. So we're fallen. And, uh, and because of our rebellion against the holy righteous judge of the universe... Somebody's got to pay. And somebody has to pay means judgment, hell. But for the Christian, praise God that the entirety and severity of that judgment fell on Christ on that cross. Praise him for that. Because we did nothing but earn punishment. So if you're feeling the void, that sense of something's missing, um, if you struggle with addictions, codependency, depression, this might sound weird, but praise the Lord for that. Because Ephesians 1 tells us that he's enlightening the eyes of your heart to live in the hope that Christ has called you to. So without that unsettling feeling, you don't know that anything's wrong. But with it, you do. And you run to the gospel you run to the gospel. So
So people, if there's anyone in here that's not a Christian today that maybe doesn't feel like they're a full believer in Christ, don't throw a tomato at me for this. But if you feel this stuff, are you just damned with no hope? Yep. Absolutely. 100%. No escape. Unless, which is the great unless of the universe, right? Unless you believe in Christ. And we're going to get into this. We have all the bad news out of the way. We're going to get to the good news. And for news to be good, it has to invade dark spaces, right? The places that we just talked about are pretty dark. A lot of us are dealing with some really big issues in those areas. So we want to um, kind of talk about the prodigal son in Luke 15. This is a great parable that shows the Heavenly Father's love for us despite how crappy we are. Um, you know, son goes away, squanders his inheritance, parties it up, makes a mess of his life, wakes up in, in the muck and mire, and uh, comes to his senses one day because he's sharing food with the pigs, and comes back to dad. And the other son, despite his uh, view that he's done everything right, has earned favor with Papa. Things aren't going his way either. But... The father, open arms, doesn't require an explanation. He throws a party, gives them some wine, best robe. He adopts them. No, he doesn't. They are already his kids. So he doesn't adopt them. God adopts us. So when you become a Christian, you become better than royalty. Okay, you become better than these sons. You become a child of God. And that's where salvation lives, is at a child, or as a child of Christ. And what I love about that is that the dad ignores, and, and so God ignores, our attempts to explain why we've made a mess of our life. He gives us validation in the form of free grace, and then he saves us from damnation for nothing. Only faith in him. And that kind of brings you to Romans 5. If you want to flip there, kind of get an idea of what we're looking at. But you got, you got to love Romans 5. There is, um, for me, there's almost no better verses in the Bible than Romans 5. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we tend to read that, you know, we say we, we say us, but God shows his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. Let that kind of sink in and understand that if you're trying to clean yourself up before you come to him, stop it. If you're trying to figure some things out before you come to him, stop it. If you're trying to tip the scales, knock it off. No more. Do you have to do that? Because while you were weak, it goes on to say at the right time, the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly, that was us. So he took all the wrath, covered all of your past and future sins, and when we start to find our joy in that, we start to see the resemblance of the power of New Testament Christianity. There is so much joy to be had 
and grace freely given on the cross. And you need to get that. And when you don't, that's when people typically say something like, uh, I tried Christianity once and it didn't really work. Because they weren't told the gospel or they didn't understand it. So the gospel is the good news that kind of helps us straighten out these crooked paths a little bit, right? So no longer do we have to try to create a better version of us, that we've turned our six-pack into an eight-pack and dollar bills are falling out of our pockets and you're driving a Ferrari and you're still going to be as frustrated and mad at that you than you are with this you. We don't have to run to others anymore for validation. We don't have to run to the world for stuff, for possessions, and we certainly don't have to try to earn favor with God. Because as a Christian, you are completely justified through faith in Christ. So I want to rattle off a few verses for you. Um, some powerful stuff. So we already said, but while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's Romans 5, 6. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, Ephesians 2.8-9. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, that's Luke 19.10. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. So, as we start to kind of close this out a little bit, I have a, a story that I stole from Nick Rifkin uh, in this book called The Insanity of God. And I'm going to tell you the Cliff's Notes because there's some parts I still want to go over here today. But a uh, guy named Dmitry that's back in communist Russia, he's holding house church, and the Russian soldiers get upset with this man because house church is kind of gaining traction. So they bust into his house one day, and uh, this, <laughs> this old lady apparently backs this soldier up against the wall and tells him that she's messing with a man of God and that he will die. And if there's one thing that you learn from this is that uh, you don't mess with an old lady on fire for God, man. Because this guy, two days, two days later, <laughs> heart attack, dead. So apparently it's true. I'm saying don't mess with old ladies on fire for God. But... <laughs> Okay, so um, after this, you know, the guy dies, and that's kind of a sign to people. So they start, more people start going to house church. So soldiers come in again, and they said, we warned you, dude. You're going to jail. So Dmitry goes to jail for 17 years in communist Russia. And so he's away from believers. He's away from his community, family, his friends, by himself amongst 1,500 other prisoners that are not Christians. And each morning, this guy wakes up and he raises his hands to the risen Lord and sings a song to him. And the prisoners hate it, of course. They're yelling at him, cussing at him, throwing stuff at him, apparently. Um, I guess when you're a prisoner, you have lack of ammo, so you result to throwing human waste at people. But, um, so this guy is basically being tortured, mentally, physically, and uh, the soldiers, the warden, I guess had a, a pretty big problem with this after 17 years of it. So he said, you know what, it's time. Dimitri's got to go. We're going to execute him. So they kneel him down, and the guy's got the gun to his head, and he's getting ready to pull the trigger. And simultaneously, 1,500 prisoners sing that song that he sang to Jesus for 17 years every day. And the soldier was like, whoa, holy, what is going on here? 
a bunch of converts. I better get out of here. Well, he let him go. And he got to return home to his family and his community of believers. After 17 years, wrap your head around that for a second. 17 years, this guy sings the same song to Christ every day in prison, getting stuff thrown at him and mentally just beat down. So what gave him that power to do that? And that was, thinking about that was just amazing to me because that power that lives in Dimitri also lives in you if you are a Christian. That resurrection power, the raise to life, Christ, lives in you if you identify with him and you have faith in him. And know that that allows you to pull up those weeds to get rid of them and reroute there what is new. Okay? That's what that power gives you the ability to do. And remember this. He uses you in your weakness. Dave talked about this on Wednesday night, and it really touched my heart. Uh, Christ uses you in your weakness. So, and then, you know what? This gets the response. This uh, he uses you in your weakness thing of uh, Christianity is a crutch, dude. I don't need that. But you know what I say? I need that crutch. My legs are broken, man. I need it. It's for the weak-minded, right? My mind is weak. Praise God that he has renewed my mind. If you think you don't need Christ, that it's a crutch, then you just don't know you're weak. Let me tell you that. Praise God that we don't have to hobble through life on our own. That Christianity is our crutch. I love the crutch. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So, in closing here, if you're uh, experiencing some of the things we talked about, the four paths, or, or, or some of the items that we touched on today, or if you're maybe uh, someone considering coming to Christ and you're not quite sure, please know that I'm not standing up here claiming to have it all together, and I certainly am not proposing that the rest of you do. I stand before you a man guilty of everything we talked about at one point in time, maybe right now. Please know that. But I want to give you a quick example of that. Um, i share, share with you what I feel to be a kind of funny story. Uh, Julie and I live on the corner of Linden and Reed Road, and then in addition to that, we also live on the corner of uh, Reed Road and a sub subdivision road. So Needless to say, we have a lot of engine noise around our house, and I've gotten used to that, but recently we've had um, an unwelcomed addition to the noise, and it's been in the form of buzzing dirt bikes up and down our road. Reed Road, which is, I mean, I consider it to be a main street. There's no jumps or hills or anything. It's a paved road. What are you going to do on a dirt bike on a paved road? But these kids are apparently having a blast down my street. And I have a one-year-old child that is almost impossible to put to sleep sometimes. So when you're riding dirt bikes in front of my house at 9 o'clock at night, my blood just starts to boil. Okay? And uh, not only were they riding, this is for weeks, uh, one day they decided to stop directly in front of my house, face to the east, and rev their engines right before they drag race down the road. So at this point in time, I turn into the Hulk, man. I'm tearing my clothes off. And I, I run out, and they're chasing the Chevy Traverse in front, of my, in front of my house. And that's dangerous in itself. And I'm, like, going like this. And for some reason, he got, like, super freaked out. And, you know, I'm, like, 150 pounds, soaking wet. 
I don't know what he was scared of. It could have been the football-sized rock I had in my hand, right? Um, so, and man, that was a big, big loss for me because I, have, I was sharing with uh, one of the guys at Bristol Road that I have a short fuse. Uh, I tend to live like on extreme sides, like super happy or super not happy, and uh, I was super not happy with this kid. So uh, that goes to show you that as a professed Christian, my hope in life is Jesus Christ. I love him with everything I have. Man, I face plant all the time still. I'm really bad at life majority of the time. Um, but, but Christ can redeem almost any situation, even a silly dirt bike situation. A couple weeks later, uh, God spoke to me and, and told me, hey, dude, you got to go say sorry to this guy for wanting to bash his head in with a rock. And uh, so I drove down there and we made amends. I, I, he was a nice kid. Um, I told him why I was upset very calmly and apologized to him for acting out of order, I guess. And he was a really nice kid. I gave him some of my old motocross gear, too, and they were, like, really happy about that. And uh, so Christ can redeem, like, tiny stuff like that. But if you've got some bigger issues, know that his power is greater than those. And uh, that's a testimony. You know, if that kid ever comes to my house wondering why I apologize to him, I can tell him. It's because Christ lives in me, man. It's because he lives in me. And it's because of that power that I can say I'm sorry. And I get a chance to share the gospel with him. And, uh, I haven't done that yet. And I certainly hope that I get the, uh, you know, I have the courage to do that. So, by the power of the Spirit, you guys, we have to believe in the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We have to. Our hope lives in that. He died and was raised up to life, and that power lives in you to defeat sin, to make it no more in your life. But know that if you stumble, that repentance is an ongoing process. That God will not leave you during that. He will hold you up. He may even go after you if you stray, kind of throw a cane around you. He's not going to leave you to your own devices for too long, only long enough to teach you something. So, if you're struggling with stuff, right, all the stuff that we talked about, and you're trying hard to run after the Lord, but you keep running into stumbling blocks in the form of those four crooked paths we talked about, look to the cross and know that that's already been done for you. It's already been done. And all you have to do is believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel.